Hi, I'm Samantha, a past guest on C-Jam's HandyLink. You're listening to HandyLink on C-Jam 99.1 FM, reaching high ground in Windsor, Detroit. Sponsored by the Italian-Canadian Handy Capable Association, an organization that provides recreational and athletic opportunities for individuals with disabilities in Windsor, Essex. For more information, check out ICHA on Facebook. I'm your host, Cam Wells. In this segment of our show, I'll be chatting with Chelsea Elizabeth Mahler from CWDO. So tell me a little bit about CWDO and your work. <laughs> so my name is Elizabeth Muller, and I'm the member at large for Citizens with Disabilities Ontario. Citizens with Disabilities Ontario, or CWDO, is a not-for-profit organization that supports people with disabilities and is run by people with disabilities and supports the independent living philosophy Our work largely focuses around education, advocacy, and awareness concerning a range of issues, everything from attendance services to public transportation to education to medical assistance in dying to technology use, etc. We are a volunteer-based board comprised of individuals with invisible and visible disabilities from a cross-disability perspective. So, in terms of... uh needs out there. What types of conditions do you most commonly see? Is it more the physical side of things or the invisible aspect? I would say that we as an organization support individuals, anyone who identifies as having any kind of disability. There isn't one disability that's prevalent. We ensure content is accessible and informative to a range of abilities. So that means um, not only accessible in terms of physically being able to access our content, but in terms of using plain language, ensuring that um, webinars or any events are done with captioning and are recorded, um, that our print materials on our website are um, in a font that's accessible and, again, easy to find. So I wouldn't say that there's one particular type of disability that, that we um, see as more prevalent. It's certainly not one type of I would say that we um, try to be a strong voice in the community for all people who identify as having a disability. So, how do you go about spreading the word about your work and reaching out to the disability population? That's a great question. There are so many organizations out there. Certainly one way we do that is at our annual general meeting. So, we try to 
uh, raise awareness about what we do at our meetings, but even prior to that, um, getting our name on the social media of different disability organizations, certainly getting our own social media presence up to speed and ensuring that um, we're posting content that's relatable and relevant, um, really cross-connecting with organizations like CCD, so Council Canadians with Disabilities, who um, works very closely with CWDO to promote our work, um, organizations like National Educational Association of Disabled Students, again, um, huge promoters of our work, so really cross-pollinating with different organizations to ensure that um, the word about what we do is getting out there, um, and the projects that we are involved with are getting out there in terms of um, being able to reach out to um, individuals who may be interested in participating in a range of projects that we're working on. So, are there any challenges in delivering the programs and services or with any of the projects? Well, I mean, COVID has certainly, um, you know, created challenges, I think, just in terms of um, mobilizing volunteers because people are uh, in this sort of space where they're navigating their own work and school. Um, but in a way, COVID has also presented us at CWDO with a really exciting opportunity to do um, a project that was financed by the Red Cross. So it was a series of webinars that uh, were delivered in the fall by a staff member um, at CWDO, really focusing in on a range of topics, so using uh, PPE during COVID for attendance, um, ensuring that individuals had a place to come and speak about any mental health challenges. We had one on disability justice, and in addition to those webinars, we are doing, um, in the midst of circulating a COVID guide that's going to have a compilation of resources that are uh, specific to COVID and disability. And so that's a recent project that we've just finished. Um, you know, I think that the challenge is certainly um, around the fact that we are um, a small but mighty organization and we're scattered all throughout the province. So um, being able to find projects that are going to be relevant to people in Toronto as much as they're going to be relevant to people in Thunder Bay. So to look at the converse side of things, in your time with the organization, What's been the greatest success you've witnessed? I think I would say two things. The, 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 back in the spring, we uh, partnered with uh, CCD, so Council Communities with Disabilities, to deliver um, a 10-part webinar series. And that was a really informative opportunity for individuals to come together to learn about their, their rights as individuals with disabilities so that looked at, again, everything from education to healthcare. Um, there was one on attendance services, uh, webinars around understanding the United Nations Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. So that was, I think, for me, I haven't been around that long, a huge success to be a part of that partnership. And then I would say another big success has been um, you know, the recent series of webinars that we just wrapped up this fall, um, specifically focusing on COVID. Um, so those are, I think, really, really big successes that um, our organization has had to pull together in a very short time and, and given, you know, pandemic uh, constraints. So, in terms of the COVID education webinars, has there been anything on the difficulties for people with disabilities to access services during these times? 
I think a big challenge for people with disabilities is um, certainly accessing the attendant services. So, you know, it could be that you're um, living at home and you don't know if the people coming in have been exposed. You don't know um, if they're working in more than one place. Um, and the challenge is around affording PPE. So it's easy to say, well, make sure that you have masks and gloves and gowns, etc. But if you're on ODSP and there's not a lot of funding for PPE, um, ODSP being the Ontario Disability Support Program, but it's it's really challenging. Um, and also the fact that for a while, PPE was really hard to get. Um, so I think that that was a really big concern is how to keep people um, feeling safe and that they're receiving safe care. I think another thing with COVID, and I spoke to this in the summer, was the $600 one-time payment that was offered uh, by the federal government. I think the challenge there was that a lot of people didn't qualify for that payment. If you didn't get it, just if you didn't don't have a disability tax credit, you didn't get it. Um, and certainly, six hundred dollars doesn't go a long way when you're dealing with a lot of the extra costs associated with having a disability. And so, I think that those are some of the really big challenges that our community is facing during this COVID nineteen pandemic. Like to thank you for taking the time out to do this, but if you can stay on the line for a sec, that'd be great. Sure, of course. In this segment of our show, Randy Krause will be telling us a little bit about Challenger Baseball. So what can you tell me about Challenger Baseball? Sure, uh, Challenger Baseball is an adaptive program provided to children, youth, and adults with cognitive and physical disabilities. And our goal is to provide them with organized baseball uh, at a level of structure to their abilities. So we, uh, we're recreational, non-competitive, and our goal is uh, to support physical activity and play. Uh, we're not worried about wins and losses. We're worried about the opportunity to uh, be physically active and play the game of baseball. I mean, all the benefits that come with that. But we, uh, this program started uh, in the state back in 1988. Um, just a father wanted a place for his daughter uh, I believe it's through policy uh, to play. And uh, our first program in Canada uh, started in Calgary in the, the following year. Um, and then really, it was really big OPC in Alberta over the last, uh, since then. And over the last 10 years, we've really pushed to grow the program across Canada. Um, so right now we have uh, programs in each province. Um, we have run 100 programs, and we've recently started to uh, take the programming to the schools um, to provide uh, teachers and uh, resource teachers, physical education teachers, an opportunity to uh, provide this in the gym class and uh, after-school programming. So, what types of disabilities do you most commonly see in this work? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a wide range. Um, obviously, uh, autism and Down syndrome, through um, policy, um, but then there's, you know, those would be the, kind of the common, but then uh, a wide variety of uh, of rare diseases, we have some that uh, um, the physical and cognitive that are, are very uh, um, they don't may not see a lot. Uh, and our goal is basically to offer this these opportunities for for everyone, no matter their abilities or circumstances, uh, to be able to play. So, be able to say, uh, uh, like I say, each each kid so individualized that uh, um, everything would be uh, would take a long time. But uh, our goal is just to be open to anyone and, and make the adaptations to allow them to play. So, do you use any modified equipment in the sport? 
We do. So, um, like I say, um, we modify whatever we need to modify to allow for participation. But we use a lot of uh, um, different size, textures, colors, um, uh, balls, and same with bats, um, light bats, heavier bats, uh, larger bats. Uh, we use beach balls. Um, we have hockey bases. We have bases with numbers on them uh, to give the kids a uh, direction in terms of the order to go in. And then everything in between, um, whatever we can think of that will allow them uh, the opportunity to participate in our programming. And uh, each, each community program, uh, although we have the same goals, might look a little different depending on uh, the athletes they have and the resources they have. So how do you go about reaching out to the community to let them know about your work? Yeah, I know. Uh, I see it. That's it's been our, when we first started, that was our big thing, just to be in the community and say, um, you know, here we are, this is the opportunity um, to be physical active. And, I mean, we use social media, we've used pamphlets, we've used radios, we've used uh, things like this, um, websites, anything we can think of really the word out. Um, and I think over the last 10 years, we've really gone from um, people asking about Challenger Baseball, is to people starting to get an idea of what it is and, and more so looking at how can I be involved. Any means possible, we, uh, you know, word of mouth is huge. Um, families who uh, participate in our program, they're our best resource because they'll, they'll tell their friends um, uh, therapy or a tool that, hey, we're doing a job to baseball, um, you should look to get your child involved. And that's probably our biggest resource, it's just the word of mouth through, uh, uh, through communities. So, in your time with the sport, is there any individual success story that stands out for you? You know, the the uh, one of the, my happy stories, and again, we, we used, you know, we're playing baseball, but we're using that as a vehicle to kind of improve other aspects of life. And uh, one of the best stories I have is a uh, program in New Brunswick. Um, one of the parents said their, their kid was 16, um, and they never had a birthday party. I didn't have friends that could uh, go to a party with them. He started Challenger Baseball um, the following year uh, for his 17th birthday. Uh, he had nine nine people at his birthday party. Um, and that's just stories like that where, um, you know, he Challenger Baseball provided that friendship. Um, so that's a big one. We've had stories of our buddies um, having their good kind of baseball athletes be involved in their weddings. Um, that, that friendship that, that comes about. I mean, in terms of, um, we've seen kids too, hopefully uh, they take Challenger Baseball and use it as a, a confidence builder. And then move on to do things, um, you know, whether it be Special Olympics, other programming, swimming. Um, we really like, like to hear it when we see kids not only play Challenger Baseball, but are multi-sport or multi-programs. Um, and hopefully Challenger Baseball will help them um, gain that confidence and self-esteem to be able to move on and try other things into, into adulthood. So in terms of the next stories, we're... Uh, Every, you know, every day you hear just the smiles on kids' faces and the enjoyment of uh, hearing from um, how their lives improved uh, in the community, um, at home and in school. And that's the biggest, the biggest thing, smile on my face. So, with the pandemic of the past year, how have you adapted the program to make sure these participants still have something? Yeah, so obviously, uh, you know, not just challenge baseball, everyone's had a tough time with, with sport physical activity. We're very fortunate. Um, we've partnered with uh, Baseball Canada, Little Canada, Little International, and the Jays Care Foundation, uh, which is the charitable arm of the Toronto Blue Jays. We have a lot of, lot of uh, um, 
ideas floating around. So we did a lot of virtual things. Um, one virtual uh, programming in the community. Again, it's not ideal. It's, it's being on the field. The kids get an opportunity to see each other and interact with each other. Um, and we also, through the, through the Jays Care, we provided uh, um, national jamborees that will kids come on and uh, and uh, interact and do activities and games with other programs across Canada and uh, special events like that. And really use the virtual platform through Zoom or through uh, um, different uh, programming like that. Yeah, again, it wasn't the same as being on the field, but at least on the baseball in their minds and uh, a lot of neat ideas uh, can build that. So uh, um, my plan is to continue with virtual uh, challenge baseball programming and opportunities until we're able to get everyone back in the field, which hopefully will be this summer, but I think it's going to be, you know, dependent uh, on where, we, where you're living and province to province. Like to thank you for taking the time out to do this, but if you can stay on the line for a sec, that'd be great. Okay. Handy Link will be right back after these commercial messages, so stay tuned. The Disability Studies Students Association is a small and tight-knit community of people who are passionate about and committed to representing and supporting disability studies students at the University of Windsor. The DSSA holds events on campus and in the community, like the annual Down Syndrome Day Walk, to raise funds for supporting organizations. If you would like to get involved or learn more, you can contact the Disability Studies Student Association directly at dssa at uwindsor.ca. Welcome back to HandyLink, sponsored by the Italian-Canadian Handy Capable Association, an organization that provides recreational and athletic opportunities for individuals with disabilities in Windsor-Essex. For more information, check out ICHA on Facebook. I'm your host, Cam Wells. Earlier in our show, we heard a little bit about CWDO, from Chelsea Elizabeth Mahler, and Randy Krause told us a little bit about Challenger Baseball. In this segment of our show, we'll hear from Wade Beebe from All Sports, All People. So what can you tell me about All Sports, All People? Uh, All Sports, All People, uh, I founded in 2014. Um... The main reason was because of my son, Caden. Uh, he's currently 16, um, but at the time, obviously a lot younger, and he has cerebral palsy and autism. So we found it very difficult to find activities for him to do in the sporting community. Um, we actually sent money, and when I say we, I talk about myself and my wife, but when I sent money into uh, a local sporting organization for him to play soccer, um, they sent our money back and said that he was a liability. And because of his walker, it would cause legal issues on their behalf if children got hurt. So that obviously was was um, a bit of an eye-opener to us in regards to how the people perceive uh, other people living with some form of cognitive or some sort of physical limitation. It just didn't seem right to me. So we did some local research and, and found... Um, a local organization by the name of the Elmville Bears, which was um, a sledge hockey organization. I've never heard of, of sledge hockey and didn't really know what it was about. Um, so we went and checked it out. And uh, 
I got on the ice with my son uh, for the first time. Um, I'm a huge hockey uh, fan and player. I, I love the sport. So for me, it was very, it was an eye opener and it was very emotional. And uh, so immediately following that interaction, we realized that we were accepted and part of a family. Um, you know, the, the Alberta Bears treated us just like that. And we didn't feel like outcasts. We didn't feel like we weren't a part of something, um, which was a, an amazing feeling. But there's lots of people in the community that didn't have that ability or didn't know um, what was available. So that's why I started the organization. So in 2014, I wrote a grant uh, in partnership with some local organizations here in the Aurelia area where we live. And uh, Trillium Foundation, which is an Ontario government-sponsored organization, funded a, a uh, my organization, that, which called All Sports, All People, which is revolved around inclusion and diversity. So. Uh, they gave us, uh, you know, $327,000, and with that, we funded a full-time employee. Uh, his name is Brad Bowden. He's an 18-year player for the Canadian Para-Ice Hockey National Hockey Team, as well as a uh, Olympic medalist uh, with sledge hockey and in wheelchair basketball. So um, Brad and I are, are very close friends, and, and him and I have been running programs since 2014 with its inception. However, what we didn't anticipate was the growth. Um, there was obviously a need for these programs. Um, so in 2018, I wrote another grant to the Trillium Foundation to expand programming, uh, where they gave me uh, just over $670,000. And with that, I rented two office spaces. Uh, we bought a bunch of more equipment, hired more people. And right now we have a complement of four employees one is a school outreach coordinator that will go into the schools and try to teach physical literacy, diversity, inclusion at the base root level and change perceptions where it begins and to introduce, you know, um, adapted sports to, to able-bodied people. And then uh, Brad still did what he was doing, which was being very successful. Um, hired Tyler McGregor. He's the current team captain of our para-ice hockey national hockey team. And uh, Jake Thompson uh, also, as well as a coordinator, and uh, we've made huge impacts and strides in the last seven years. I think total reach for children right now in our communities, which includes Simcoe County and York Region, we've we've done programs for five thousand children. So, so it has incredible impacts, um, and we mirror the sports for life model that was that was used years ago by by uh, Canada's uh, basketball teams uh, in regards to how to develop people and introduce physical literacy. And that's kind of how we run it. Sure. And, um, excuse me, um, we work in partnerships with the municipalities and we work with their recreation departments and we promote our vision. And uh, uh, I'm extremely proud of the organization, where it's come from. Um, I didn't think that when I started this in 2014, where it would be now. Um, but it's just absolutely uh, gained traction, and it's obviously uh, there's obviously a need. So that's kind of where it came from and where it's at. So you mentioned uh, bridging the gap for able-bodied athletes to learn about disability athletics, but uh, how does it change for the athletes with a disability when they're able to get out there and just be a part of something, enjoy the sport? Yeah, so that's... That's a great question, Kamet. Um, physical literacy is shown to change behaviors, um, especially with people with cognitive issues. Um, 
it, it's shown that no different than anyone who's able body exercise releases endorphins. It, it makes you feel better. It's better for your body. It applies the same way. And um, the issue was is without any programs in the community to provide people, they weren't getting that enjoyment. So we created it. And um, it's been a great, it's a great thing. And we don't, there's no um, restriction in age. You know, we've had uh, young children from grade four to grade three, um, five years old to six years old, two adults who are in their 50s who are behavioral coming from group homes, who absolutely love it on the ice, who aren't verbal, but yet you can see in their face and the way they move that they love what they're doing. So it has huge impacts. So how do you go about reaching out to people about the programs? So, you know, the days of technology obviously help us. Um, we're really kind of segmented to York Region, Simcoe County right now, just based on the grant requirements. However, we do use a high social media platform. So, you know, your Instagrams, your Facebook pages, um, word of mouth from time to time, but it's really also hard work by digging in the trenches and getting into these municipalities and having the conversations and helping them or them helping us uh, develop programs in the community. So, in your time with all sports, all people, what's been the greatest success moment you've experienced? Uh, that's hard to narrow down. Um, I wouldn't say one individual thing. I, I will express that these programs, in a way, are kind of selfish to me because I get a lot out of them. Um, to see the joy and to see uh, the parents who um, are watching their children or playing with their children in a sport that they couldn't do before. So there's no real individual specific thing overall. It's just an incredible experience, and I love every minute of it. So what message would you send to the community about the need for equality and inclusion in sport? Uh, I think that the message is really simple. Everyone needs to be treated fairly and the same with equality. And no matter what you may have, what you're born with, what you may experience through some sort of an injury, maybe an accident caused you to have a brain injury or caused you to have spinal cord issues and now you can't walk but you're in a wheelchair. It doesn't matter. There are programs and things available for you that you can take part in and participate in that will help you and change your life. And um, the message really at the ground roots is, is treat everyone the same. Uh, learn patience. Educate yourself. Um, understand what people may be going through by understanding their perspectives before you judge. And I've learned that uh, in this type of community, when I say type of community, I mean people living with these issues. Um, I'm exposed to it because of my boy. And I gotta have, I wouldn't have it any other way because it's, it's really taught me patience, understanding, and perspectives. And uh, it's been an incredible journey like to thank you for taking the time out to do this, but if you can stay on the line for a sec, that'd be great. Sure, yeah. My friends, there's one force in disability life that never ceases to amaze me. The force of family. The love they can feel for someone with a disability who's close to them. How they'll go to the moon and back just to try to make the world a little bit more inclusive for them. In a lot of cases, that's where it starts. A group of parents and friends getting together and saying, we can do better 
for the next generation of leaders. It doesn't matter that they might move a little differently, or see, or hear, or think a little differently. They are still people of great potential to be included. They are deserving of our full support. Having a disability by no means makes you weak. Being able-bodied by no means makes you strong. The truth is, it's all about the individual. It's all about the character with which they choose to live. And a child raised with the understanding that they deserve respect as much as anyone else will grow up with that notion in mind. They will not let any so-called limitation hold them down. It's as it should be. We don't have any right, any of us, to condition the next generation to believe that they should devalue their own life simply because one little factor about them is different. For all we know, that's precisely what gives them their strength. It's not until you're faced with it that you realize just how much you can endure and just how much you can achieve. But it is really a matter of our support systems as well. Those who stand beside us, those who teach us to reach our best. Because if they believe it, we can start to believe it. This has been HandyLink. I'm your host, Cam Wells, reminding you we're all equal. So get on out there and have yourselves a good one. Something tells me you've earned it, folks. We'll see you next week.